What do the following people have in common with you? Have in common with each other, but have in common with you. Noah, Sarah, Jacob, Job, Moses, David, Solomon, Jeremiah, Jonah, Elijah, Martha, Peter, yes, even Jesus. All these people share many things in common, one of those being in Scripture. They're all in Scripture, but you're not in Scripture. So that's not the common ground. But one of these things that they all share in common with, I believe 90% of us and the other 10% are just in self-denial. And that is that we all, at times in our life, maybe moments in our life, maybe seasons in our life, we all experience times in our life when we just have to look to the heavens, look to God and say, God, you don't make sense. God, I don't understand you. I don't know what you're about, what you're doing. It's it's not, I'm not, I can't connect the dots. It's, it's, it's a, it's a mess out here. And, and if you're a big God there, then why aren't you fixing the mess here? Or God, I thought you said this and, but yet I'm not seeing the provision of that. And there's so many ways you can fill in the blank. There's so many things that we could say to point to and examples that there, that, that there's no one example of, of what it means to misunderstand God or to have difficulty in making sense of God. Because you have a story, I have a story. I have mine, you have yours. You bring yours to the table, I bring mine. And we, so, so here's what I want you to hear as we launch into this new series of messages, is that the examples that I give, whether they're biblical or personal, that they're, they're, they're not going to be like yours. And, and please do not write it off and say, you know what, I, uh, that your situation is not like mine, so you, I, I, I can't identify with it. Realize when you're living in the tension that you, I'm going to say it, you can't fully trust the God of the universe to come through the way you need him to come through and show up, it gets really hard. And I think, again, you fill in the blanks of the different scenarios and different situations, we have all had them. And some of you are living in it right now. Into the nasty now and now. And so here's what I want to challenge you to do. If you brought a piece of paper, if you got your phone, you can jot this question down. I want you to kind of begin to massage this question into your mind. Everyone ask, the, ask yourself this question throughout today, throughout this next 24 hours. Try to nail it down within the next 24 hours. God, I don't understand you. When? Why? What? How? Fill in the blank. I don't understand when you do that, God, or when that happens that you aren't there to fix it. I don't understand why, God, you allow bad things to happen to good people and good things to happen to bad people. Let's put this you on the other foot. I don't understand what you're up to, God. I don't understand what you want me to do in this circumstance of my life. I don't understand, God, how. How I'm going to get through this. I don't see your provision, your hand on the other side. And we're going to take the course of the next three weeks and we're going to, again, I don't have the answer, so don't come with me and say, hey, here's my question, Mike, where's the answer? I don't have it. Don't even bother me with it, okay? Bring your great questions. I'll empathize with you, but I don't have the answer, okay? So I don't have a secret book over here that pull off the shelf and it gives me all the answers to, to life's questions. 
the book that I do have, we're going to open it up and we're going to dive into the book of Habakkuk. Say that with me, Habakkuk. It's just fun to say Habakkuk, all right? So, I mean, how often do you say Habakkuk or Habakkuk or whatever, however you pronounce that? So it's not very often. In fact, many of our pages are still stuck together in our Bibles, or maybe we've never found it. So the best thing to do right now in the course of this introduction is to go to the front table of contents and find it. Otherwise, you'll spend the rest of the message looking for it. So go there, embrace the humble pie, and find the book of Habakkuk. We'll be there in a moment. We're going to be talking about misunderstanding. Understanding God or understanding God, or sometimes you misunderstand what you thought you understood about God. And it's, it's again, trying to battle and live within that. But basically the net net of it is, is when God doesn't make sense, what am I supposed to do? When I can't make sense of this, fill in the blank, what am I supposed to do? When I make sense of what, fill in the blank, what am I supposed to do? So it's, the, it's that in that difficulty of God not making sense that we're going to dwell in. It's what Habakkuk dwelt in. Now, we've, uh, why Habakkuk? Because God laid on my heart uh, several months ago. Of, I really feel like there's a huge amount of biblical illiteracy in our world today especially in America. God bless us. We have Bibles on, on phones and Bibles in our homes, but we know very little of the Bible. We'll read Psalms. In fact, the most popular book to preach out of is the book of Psalms. We like the Gospels. We'll read those around Christmas time and we'll read those around Easter time. So we'll, we'll read certain books of the Bible or we like the the Proverbs, because the Proverbs has such jam-packed full of wisdom. We have our certain nuggets that we like, but how many of us, don't raise your hand, how many of us have ever studied for three Sundays the book of Habakkuk? How many of us have ever studied the Song of Solomon? How many of us have ever studied the book of Jude, who just last week, uh, uh, Wade did a great job sharing with you the book of Jude. These are the forgotten books of the Bible. That's why I did Philemon back in August. I really feel like there's great gems, great truth, great things that we're not gaining and we're not getting access to, we're not taking advantage of, that are forgotten books of the Bible. And Habakkuk is one of those. Again, many people haven't read it. Those who have, I've had multiple people come up to me and say it's one of their favorite Old Testament prophetic books. If you've read it and you've unpacked it, then you can identify with this. It's basically what we're going to be looking at is the prayer journal of a prophet. That's really cool. All right. It's not his sermons. It's not like listening to another sermon by another prophet. This is literally the prayer journal. It's 56 verses. So you blink and you will miss the book. It will be in and out. But we are literally going to look at the 56 verses. But what we're going to see with Habakkuk, a prophet, a man of God, is he struggles with God. He has a hard time making sense of some of the things that God's doing. But guess what? Join the club. Join that list of people that we just saw up there and the number of people who struggle with God and what he's about and what he's doing. If you struggle with disappointment with God, join the Disappointment God support group. And and Martha is the leader of it. You can read John chapter 11. If you struggle with disillusionment with God, join the Moses support group. It's in Exodus chapter 5. If you struggle with God that you felt ignored by God, join the Sarah support group because that's in Genesis chapter 18. There are many, many examples of godly people, people that we've studied since kids in elementary school, of people who've struggled at some point, at some time with God. And again, we're going to be looking at the personal prayer journal 
of a prophet. Now I keep emphasizing that because most of the time you read through the prophetic books, you have a prophet speaking to man about God. A prophet typically is speaking to man about God. Get right with God or God's going to get right with you or help you get right. And so it's that kind of relationship. This is different. This is not man or prophet speaking to man about God. This is prophet speaking to God about man. He's talking about, and basically he has three different prayers in the book of Habakkuk. For the next three Sundays, we're going to look at the three prayers. The first one that we're looking at today is he's going to ask a big question, why? He's going to have questions. I question you, God. I got questions for you, God. And next week, we're going to look at the who. And I doubt you, God. God, if that's the, if that's the answer to my prayer, I have real doubts in you, God. And some of y'all have doubts about God. I've had people come up to me in this gathering or in this, in this church that attend here that tell me I'm struggling with atheism. And I say, welcome to Grace Point. We're so glad you're here. Journey with us. Figure out that. I'm praying for you. I welcome the doubt because I believe we have a big God who will show himself in his own way. And then some, it's I'm trusting or I'm not trusting. I have a hard time trusting because when you trust, you have to step into the unknown. And that's really hard to step into the unknown. When we like the known, we like what's under our feet. Here's what I promise you, though. I'm not going to give you the Christianese answers. And we're not going to take the book of Habakkuk and sew it up in one little sermon in one day. Like a lot of people preach the book of Habakkuk because the, you get to chapter three, it really gets kind of sweet. Okay. It gets kind of awesome, but you got to get there. You got to live in the tension. We're going to live in the tension. We're going to create some fraying of ends. We're going to unravel some things. We're going to talk about some things that maybe we don't have all the answers that we want, but we got to go there. There's no easy answers. There's only hard questions. And I promise you, I will not try to sugarcoat them. I'm going to let some frayed ends be out there after this week. And you're going to get to live in the tension of that. Because you know what? You live in the tension of it every single day of your life. But how can I function in the tension of unanswered questions with a God that I don't understand? And that's where we're at. And so we're going to deal with that, kind of uh, let that be there. Here's what I challenge you to do. I challenge you to do exactly what Habakkuk did. If we're going to look at the prayer journal of Habakkuk, then I encourage you, challenge you actually, for the next 21 days, that's three weeks, 21 days, three weeks, is to take the next 21 days and commit yourself to journaling in a journal that we're even providing. All across this stage, we're going to give you an opportunity at the end to come up and grab one of these and and take it with you, put it in your pocket, carry it around with you. And when you have a question for God, write it down. When God gives you an answer, write it down. If the God of the universe speaks, write it down, please. It's kind of like it's important, okay? If the God of the universe says something to you, gives you a nugget, gives you a verse, write it down. If If you have questions, write it out. I'm going to try to give you each week some assignment, if you will, some things to wrestle with, some tension to, to manage. So here's this week's. So you can jot these down on a paper or again, take them in your phone or something like that. And then you do the, the heavy lifting in your journals later on today and this week. And that number one question is, what are your top three unanswered questions? I said three because I just like three, all right? It could be four, but narrow it down. Don't get so many that you can't remember. Your top three unanswered questions. It could be first person about your life. It could be third person about somebody else's life. 
It could be globally about what, 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 what's God going to do with the, with the war, war that never seems to end in the Middle East. It could be, again, third party could be first, firsthand. So you wrestle with those three questions, jot them down, and begin to praise them. If they're big questions, write them down. If they're not, don't, they're not big questions, okay? The biggest question of all that I'd ask God, what is that? That's the number two thing. I got one question, God, this is it. And it may be the question I started having you formulate here just a few moments ago. I want you to write it out because thoughts disentangle themselves when they move from your lips to your fingertips. All right? Jotting it out, writing it out begins to help make crystallize your thoughts. Helps you to form healthy thoughts. So here's another assignment for you to do in your little prayer journal. And that is to read and meditate on Psalm 139 all week long. Read it every day if you need to. Read it multiple times a day. Listen to it as you're driving. Read it when you're at home. Read it before you go to bed. Read it when you get up in the morning. I just want you to read it and then write any nugget of truth that God may give you in that. If he shows anything, anything pops off the page, one phrase, one sentence, one word, jot it down. The God of the universe just spoke to you, okay? Let this be an exercise of your... Now, they're all across the stage. In our response time, here's the challenge to you. If you're going to take the 21-day challenge, you come up here and grab one. But if you're not, please don't. Don't waste your time. Don't waste our time. Don't take the journals. If you're going to step into the challenge, step into the space, you can come up before, during, after, whatever, and grab one of these and begin the journey into the unknown. Because that's where we're going. No easy answers, only hard questions. Let's go to Habakkuk. Hopefully you found it in that time. Habakkuk means, by the way, interesting, jot it in the margins of your Bibles if you want to. Habakkuk means to embrace or to wrestle. I like the idea of Habakkuk wrestling. He's really wrestling with God here. Okay, he's really struggling with, he's got some questions. He's, he's working it out. Now, as he's wrestling with him, I, I need to feel like I need to give you the context of it from a global perspective and what was going on. Because if you really understand what's going on. So let's start back where we ended a few weeks ago. We were in the Song of Solomon. Solomon, the great king, Solomon, who ended up living his life in a little disillusionment by the end. He dies and Israel and Judah nearly immediately divide. So it was, it was King David who brought the nation together. He united the nation. It was Solomon who distracted the nation. And it was Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, who divided the nation. So the nation divides between basically north and south. They didn't divide over racial lines or slavery or anything like that. They had their own issues. They divided. Israel's on one side. Judah's on another. Israel nearly goes into the pot almost immediately. A few hundred years later, they end up in exile. And in 722, they end up into, in, into exile. And they're basically become captive to Assyria. Northern Assyria, Assyria is to the north. They become the dominant force of them. They start controlling them. Judah, though, is left on its own. Now, they weren't little angels. They weren't perfect in their own little right. They actually fall in a few years later. They fall and become an exile themselves and have to live in 605. Now, what happens in that period of time is right about in that time, Habakkuk is on the scene. And he is so frustrated with his homeland, his Judah, his nation, his, his mother people, 
okay? He's so frustrated with the sin and the evil and the vile and the injustice of their life. He's praying out to God and he's so upset. Jehoiakim becomes the king, Okay, now Jehoiakim is the king during Habakkuk's prayer journal is what we believe here. And right before him, uh, or one king before him, was, a, was, his, uh, was his father, Josiah. Josiah was a great king. He brought the nation revival. It was a great time. Judah was a really strong nation. But Jehoiakim comes on and he basically becomes a puppet to now Egypt. Egypt takes over the land. Egypt is to the north. Assyria is to the north. Egypt is to the south. To the south. So they're dominating all around and Israel's right in the middle. They're the spoil of the war. And the two superpowers of that day were Egypt and Assyria. And they were one until Babylon comes on the scene. And Babylon steps into the scene and they take over Judah. Babylon defeats Egypt. They take over Judah. Uh, they take over the land and they become King Nebuchadnezzar steps onto the scene. That's the time frame in which we're dealing with. Now, just hang on to that. A lot of history in that, but it all comes together. Now, let's look at Habakkuk chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? Notice he immediately starts asking questions to God. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. How many of you, you would write that prayer out today to God? Oh God, I've been crying for help. How long until you hear? Or cry to you violence pointing out the sins of the land and you do not save us. Why? Now he starts asking why. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at, why, why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth and the wicked are surrounded, uh, the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Even the justice that goes out is unjust. So you have this nation that is in this hot mess. And, and, and here it is. He is crying out to God, God, how much longer are you going to put up with this? Why are you making me see this? Why are you setting by idly? God is not making sense to Habakkuk. And here's the question. When does God in our life not make sense? And I'm going to say that from the, from the life of Habakkuk, there's at least two. There may be more, but there's at least two times when God doesn't make sense. So let's jot them down. Number one is when God's silence speaks louder than his actions. What is it when we pray? We want instant response. We talk to God. We ask God we, a question. We expect within the next 24 hours to have an answer drop out of heaven. We expect the, the problems to be solved. We expect everything to get back in line, the kids to get in line, the relationship to get in line, the job to get in line. Or if you don't lost your job, you expect to have that new job. And all of a sudden, in 24 hours, and then 48 hours, and then 72 hours, and you're not getting the answers. You're thinking, God, are you up there? God, are you listening? And what you hear is this. And it is deafening. God, why didn't you heal me of that disease? God, why did that relationship end the way it did? 
God, why, why is the job the way it is? See, Nahum and Zephaniah and Habakkuk were all contemporaries at the same time. Now, when you read, again, these are all names that if you want to read them simultaneously as we're going through this series, you can do that just to get them in context. But I promise you, if you read Nahum and you read Zephaniah, you'll need Xanax at the end of that because it is depressing. All right. He's literally is preaching to the people. But again, remember, that's not what Habakkuk's doing. The, Nahum and Zephaniah and Jeremiah are all contemporaries and they're all talking to the people. Again, they're talking to the people about God, but who is Habakkuk talking to? He's talking to God about the people. He's saying, God, what's going on here? Why aren't you fixing this? In fact, when Jeremiah is a prophet at the same time, this is how corrupt and evil and vile the people were. Jeremiah said this in his own words in Jeremiah 6, 27 to 28. This is out of the message. It says, God gave me this task. I have made you an examiner of my people to examine and weigh their lives, their thick-headed, hard-nosed bunch, rotten to the core, the lot of them. That's how he described the people. Now, again, if you go back to Habakkuk's prayer, what do you see there? You see, why do I see iniquity? Why, what's the wrong and the destruction and the violence and the strife and the contention and the justice never goes forth? Basically, injustice. The wicked. Again, it's, it's, it's seven different accusations that, that, that Habakkuk levels against his own people. And he's saying, why, God? Why are you letting this happen? Why aren't you doing anything about this? And what does he get? He gets silence. He even goes in verse 3 and he says, See the iniquity, looking at the wrong. I want you, if you again, you have your Bible, circle the words look, look at the words see. We're going to come back to those two words in a moment. But he's like crying out, God help me. And what happens when God is silent? What happens when God is silent? The same thing that happens whenever somebody we love and trust is silent about something, we began to think the worst. Silence becomes deafening. Bart Randall says it like this of intentional churches. He says, in the absence of information, people will connect the dots or fill in the blanks to the most pathological way possible. Now hear that. People, when there's an absence of information, people will connect the dots. They'll think the worst. They'll go into the dark spot. Why aren't you talking to me? Why, well, why aren't you home? Where are you at? You know, they, they begin levels of untrust and distrust come in. They connect the dots and fill in the blanks the most pathological way possible. So what happens when God's silent? What do we start doing? God, do you not care? We start thinking, prayer's a hoax. I prayed and God didn't answer. I, I've trusted God and God hasn't come through. God really doesn't care about me. God has failed me. God has forgotten me. We start thinking things like this. We start filling in the blanks of those little dots that are missing. Why, God, why are you like this? And then just imagine, this happens to all of the great believers of the Scriptures. Habakkuk questioned the justice of God. Moses questioned the wisdom of God. Job questioned the sovereignty of God. Abraham and Sarah questioned the power of God. The power of God. What do I say? In the absence of information, the people connect the dots and fill in the blanks the most pathological way possible. 
What is Abraham and Sarah? What's their story? You know their story. Chapter 11 of Genesis. The story begins when two young people fall in love from the land of Ur, Ur, modern-day Babylon. They fall in love, and man, they, they, all they can dream about is their, their American dream, not exactly their, their Ur dream, I guess. And they're thinking about a, a white house with a white picket fence, and they're thinking about children, and they're thinking about goats in the yards and, and all that kind of stuff because they're, 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 they're shepherds, okay? And they're just anticipating that God's going to give them this. In fact, in Genesis chapter 11, God gives them the first promise that you're going to have a child. In chapter 12, he tells them not only you're going to have a child, but you're going to father a nation. God is going to bless you and people who bless you will bless them. It's going to be a beautiful thing. It's the Abrahamic covenant. It's big in biblical history, promise you. God gives them a promise in chapter 11, gives them a promise in chapter 12. You know what happens? The next month you would expect a baby. The next month you would expect baby showers to start happening. Because baby's on the way. God just said it. God of heaven, God of the universe just said a baby's coming. That's chapter 12. Chapter 13. All the land that you see, I will give you for your offspring. Another promise from God. God's showing up with all these awesome promises. Offspring forever. I will make you your offspring like the dust of the earth. Now he's calling kids dirty little rats. Yes, you're going to have so many kids. They're going to be dirty. They're going to bring dust in the house. Well, not exactly. He says, you're going to have so much, so many kids, they're going to be dust everywhere. I mean, you can't even count them. Another promise. Another month of silence. Another month of a missed pregnancy. Followed by another month and another month and another month and another month of another time that another chapter goes by and another promise is not fulfilled. But a promise is given. God's surely going to come through. That's chapter, this is now chapter 13. Surely in chapter 14, no, no baby, chapter 14, chapter 15, maybe. Chapter 15, finally, we see authentic Abram cry out to God and he said this, Oh Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless. No. God, I don't understand. You made this promise in chapter 11 of my life, chapter 12 of my life, chapter 13 of my life, and I still don't have a baby. Can you imagine what Sarah's going through? We're just hearing from the voice of Abram. He's probably voicing the crying of the night of a mother, who, of a wannabe mother who can't have a child. And the pain that is so real. And what does God do? He gives another promise. That's chapter 15, verse 2. Chapter 15, verse 5 says, And he brought him outside. He said, Look toward the heaven. Now he went from the dust of the earth. Now he goes to the heavens. He says, Look toward the heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be another promise. Eventually, you begin to think these are empty promises of God. Chapter 11, no baby. Chapter 12, no baby. Chapter 13, no baby. 14, no baby. 15, no baby. 16, no baby. 17, no baby. 18, no baby. 19. Actually, it was in chapter 18, verse 12, that finally she had a baby named Isaac. Now, I want you to do the math on that. Ten chapters of her life, there was no baby. But there was only promises. How many chapters of your life will you go 
where God's silence speaks louder than his actions? And will we have the faith to endure to the very end? No easy answers, I said. Only difficult questions. We all look back at Abraham now and we go, oh yeah, look at Abraham. He's a, he's, a, he's a man of God and he believed and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And oh, what a, what a great patriarch of the faith. And Sarah, they both laughed at God, by the way. They got to the point that he was 99 and she was 90 and God said, you're going to have a baby. And Abraham and both Sarah laughed at God. You're kidding me. You don't understand God. It was a miraculous birth. See, the problem is with the miraculous, we want to live a miraculous life, but we don't want to live in impossible circumstances. To be in impossible circumstances mean that God might show up in a miraculous way, but we like to be in control. And one of the reasons we misunderstand God is because God is trying to levelize His place in the world and our place in the world. And He is God and we are not. We need to understand what Reuben Welch said. With God, even when nothing is happening, something is happening. He's happen- it's happening. We may not see it. And God is just as focused on our journey as He is about our destination. We think, okay, the destination is to be the father of the nation, is to have a child, is to have a boy, is to have an heir, is to have Isaac. We think that is the destination. And sure enough, it is a destination that God is leading them to. But God is just as concerned about the journey as he is the destination. But what we want to do is we want to get to the end. We want to get to the happy ending. We want to get to everything being all right and all, all in place. And the thing is, is that God may be working in the journey as he leads us to the destination. Are you willing to go there? Are you willing to go through the unknown? Just because God seems silent to me doesn't mean he is not working in me. A life principle for you is to answer, uh, the answer to get uh, life, or excuse me, the answers you get in life are only as good as the questions you ask. All right, let me say it to you again. The answers you get in life are only as good as the questions you ask. We might be asking the wrong question. We might need to reframe the question. Instead of saying, God, why are you silent? We might need to be saying, God, what are you doing in your silence? What are you doing in your silence? Because he's working. Which then leads me to number two. When God's reality is different than our reality. This is our reality. This is the reality that we live in, okay? This is the reality that we know, we function in. This is the reality of God sometimes. Sometimes they don't overlap. We feel like God's in a different galaxy. God's got a different world and a different agenda. And we live over here and we don't see God in our reality. We only see our reality. And that's part of the problem is we only see our reality. A a, a part of God's working through us is God has got to work in us. And that working in us is a part of what's happening on behind the scenes, in the darkness, in the pain, in the misery, in the loneliness even. 
Habakkuk's outlines are very simple. He has three prayers and three answers from God. Man, I wish they just came in the order that we like it. Here, I got good news for you. I got bad news for you as well, okay? I got to prep you. The good news first. The good news is that God does answer your prayers. The bad news is you may not like the answer you get. Deal with it. I'm not making light of that. You may not like the answer you get. That's exactly what happened to Habakkuk. In verse 3, I told you to circle these two words. Very key words. He says, see and look. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why? Why are you idly looking at the wrong? Okay, these are two different Hebrew words here. There's the first one is the Hebrew word ra'ah, which means to look at and to understand it, okay? To look at something and to understand it, but then, or to see it and understand it. Then there's the word look, or it's the word nabat in the, in the Hebrew, and it means to fix your eyes on something. So basically, you're locked in on it, you're studying it, you're dissecting it, and that's what you're doing. And now, what is Habakkuk doing here? Please don't miss this. This may be worth everything that you came for today. What is Habakkuk doing? He is looking at his circumstances. He's looking at his situation. He is seeing the darkness. He is seeing the pain. Seven different words does he use to describe his situation. He is looking at... Locked and loaded on that. What does God say? Get your eyes off your circumstances and get your eyes on me. When our eyes are locked in on our circumstances, guess what? We will not see God. When our eyes get off of our circumstances and onto God, we can begin to see God. Look at verse 5. This is where God answers the prayers. He uses the same Hebrew words. You've been looking at iniquity. You've been seeing iniquity. You've been looking at wrong. Now he says, look among the nations. See, wonder, and be amazed. For I'm doing a work in your day that you wouldn't believe even if I told you. I love that verse. I'm going to do a work that if I told you and gave you the blueprint, you would not believe it. So maybe sometimes God doesn't answer us because it'd be a waste of his breath. We wouldn't believe it. There's no way, God. What are you up to? Even if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. It's incredible. But what he tells him to do is get your eyes off your circumstances and get your eyes upon what I'm going to do. Focus in on what I'm doing. You got your reality over here. I got my reality over here. Get your eyes off of your reality and get your eyes on my reality. What am I doing? Where am I working? Reframing this question is how are you working in the, this moment? That's how we ask. The, what are you doing in this moment? The circumstances that, uh, that Habakkuk was in, was his nation was falling apart. What are you doing in this moment? The question that we need to ask is how are you working in my life? How are you working in my life? It's not just in the moment of that day, in the nasty moment of that day. In, the, in, in this story, it goes on, and I promise you, you're not going to like all the answers that God gives you. He turns around, God gives him the answer, and he says, look, behold, in verse 6, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. Now, who are the Chaldeans? They're the Babylonians. Babylonians are not still Team 6 going to come in and rescue. Not the Lone Ranger coming in. The Chaldeans are going to come in, and for the next 70 years, they're going to be under Babylonian occupation. 
where they were under Egyptian uh, puppet uh, king to now, now they're going to be under Babylon. Babylon. Babylon is even worse than anybody else. And if you don't believe me, look at verse seven and uh, seven through nine. He tells us exactly the dreaded and fearsome. They're dreaded and fearsome. Verse eight, it says they they're like eagles, swift to devour. Verse nine, they will you will see violence. Remember, you just saw violence before. And now you're going to even see more violence. They gather captives like sand. Basically, what Babylon's going to come in to do. Jehoiakim is still the king. Egypt is still in control. Habakkuk is praying these prayers, but he's saying, hey, just behind, around the corner, Babylon's going to come in and they're going to do worse than your own people are doing. They're going to do worse than the Assyrians. And what they're going to come and do is they're going to come and take over the land. They're going to pillage the land. They're going to tear down your walls. They're going to tear down your cities. They're going to, they're going to take all the gold, everything valuable out of the temple. They're going to take it to Babylon, modern-day Iraq. They're, going to, they're basically going to pillage it. And then they're going to enroll all the gifted and talented of Israel. They're going to take them and make them live as exiles in the land of Babylon. So that was the gifted and talented program of Babylon. Basically raid, uh, raid and, uh, and rape and take all the gifted and talented people back to Babylon. And then they re-educate them into the Babylonian system. That's God's answer to the prayer. Thank you, God, but please keep your uh, answers to yourself. Proverbs chapter 3, we like that. Talks about leading our paths, making them straight. The key is, is we cannot lean on our own understanding. There's going to be times in our life when God's going to lead us in a path that we're not going to make sense. It's not going to, it's not going to make sense. But the verse before that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He'll make your path straight. But if we lean on our understanding, Isaiah 55 verse 8 says that our thought, my thoughts are not your thoughts, the Lord says. My ways are beyond anything you, you can imagine. So God is going to give us our answers. He's not going to give us an answer sometimes that we don't want to hear. But as he answers us, we've got to realize it's a part of a bigger plan in what God is doing. And the same thing happens in the time of Habakkuk. A little boy was born named Daniel. Daniel was a part of the gifted and talented. Not only that, he was also a very good looking evidently. So he was good-looking, and he was gifted and talented. And Babylon takes him and relocates him. He was 16 years old. He's taken away to the land, and he's re-educated. The thing is, the re-education didn't stick because he was a God-fearing young man. And he did not give up his faith. He kept his faith, and he did not give in. When the king said, don't you pray to me, don't pray to your God, he prayed to his God, God threw him in the fire. We just sang a song about it. You know about lion's dens. I mean, there's all kinds of cool stories that we hear about Daniel. Daniel and the lion's den. The story behind the story is that this was an incredible young man who feared God and would not give up his faith. And he ends up going on in his life and all the way to chapter 10, and he gets the vision from God. Now, you would think, 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 that a God-fearing man, God would give him a straight beeline answer to every one of his prayer requests. Anytime he had asked them, God would answer him Johnny on the spot, Right? I mean, he's a God-fearing young man. He's in a, he's in a pagan country. I mean, he, he's, he's got all, all, everything against him. The king's throwing him in fires and lion's dens and all that kind of stuff. You would think that God would throw him a bone. But no, what happens is God didn't make sense to Daniel. God gave him a vision, but it didn't make sense. And so he made him wait 24 days. 
24 days. In that 24-day period, you know what he does? He prays and he seeks God and he looks for God. He journals maybe. He begins to write and he begins to think and he begins to seek God. And God, at the end of the 24 days, 21 days, he answers his prayer. And he gives him the answer. What do you learn from Daniel? I learned three things. Just in this passage alone, Daniel chapter 10, is that when God doesn't make sense, as I said in the beginning, join the God-fearing elite. It happens to everyone. There are times that God just simply doesn't make sense. Didn't make sense to Daniel when he saw the vision. What does it say in chapter 10, verse 1? The word was revealed to Daniel and it was a great conflict. There are times that God's going to tell you something and it's just not going to make sense. What are you to do? Just realize I'm with Daniel. I'm with Sarah. I'm with Moses. I'm with David. I'm with Solomon. I'm with some great people. I'm in the company of some great people. God didn't make sense to them. He's not going to make sense to me. So if you're in that boat today, realize you're among God's elite. Number two, when God doesn't make sense, don't step away in frustration because God didn't answer you in the first 24 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours. Press in a step away from frustration, but actually step up in fasting, in seeking God, in leaning in, giving him more time and attention than you gave him before. Daniel chapter 10, verse 3, what does Daniel do? He says, I ate no delicacies, no meat, no wine. I entered, entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for all three weeks. I'm, I'm challenging you on this 21 days because I, I don't think that God's going to answer all of your questions in 21 days. He might. But guess what? There's something about Daniel and what Daniel did is he didn't step away from God in frustration, but he stepped in. He got more devoted, more more committed to prayer and fasting, more seeking God. He turned off the television. He logged out of the social media. He leaned in. He got away from the table and he spent time with God. It's a lost discipline in our culture today. Because we like instant God with instant answers and instant solution to our immediate problems. And sometimes our reality doesn't match God's reality. And it's about time they line up. Here's the third thing I learned from Daniel is when God doesn't make sense, press on and press in knowing that you can trust Him. Trust Him. Daniel, for three weeks, sought God, didn't turn away from God. Daniel, for three weeks, went in and fasted, sought him, seeking God. And this is what it says. God speaks to him. Oh, Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you. Now he makes it clear. And stand upright. You set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God. You can read the whole story for yourself in Daniel chapter 10. But I wanted to pull out those nuggets today to point out that we all will face times of doubts and questioning and God not making sense. Our reality not lining up with God's reality. What are we going to ask God to do? God, you line up with my reality, as broken as it is, or do I 
line up with your reality and I become one with you. That's going to take me leaning in. That's going to take me adjusting my expectations. That's going to take me being fully engaged, fully devoted to Him. Would you bow your heads with me? We every Sunday give you space. Please don't let the world rob it from you right now. This is space for you to sit in your seat, to to stand up and come and kneel at the front and pray. Find somebody to pray with. This is for you, time for you to grab a journal. This is time for you to go back, sit down, and start writing immediately. Maybe it's just to pray and lift up your hands. This is you and God time. Don't rush through this. Let God begin to mold and shape you in this moment. I'm going to pray. And we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And you respond as the Lord leads you. If you want to enter into this challenge, enter into this challenge. Come grab a journal. If you're like, hey, I just need to sit down and I just need to listen right now. I just need to listen. You need to raise your hands and sing the voice, top of your lungs, this song, this anthem of declaring that God, you're going to be there in the highlands and the lowlands, in the storms of my life. You're there. And I'm going to claim it today. Father God, be real. As we're real about our broken lives, would you be real in this moment? May we experience you, your grace, your mercy, your voice, your tender, tender voice. Lord, would you speak in these moments as we listen? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand together, please.